Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of April 23rd, 2022, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And what I'm going to have to say tonight is going to be very unpopular with a lot of you. So uh, let me preface it with some context and a brief update on the situation in Ukraine since our last podcast of a week ago. Okay, uh, satellite imagery just today, April 22nd, detected a mass grave with perhaps up to 9,000 bodies on the outskirts of the destroyed city of Mariupol. That is to say, 20 times larger, potentially, than the mass grave already exhumed at the Kiev suburb of Buka. Last week, Ukraine's parliament, the Rada, adopted a resolution formally recognizing the actions of the Russian armed forces in the country as genocide of the Ukrainian people. The resolution calls upon the United Nations, the European Parliament, the OSCE, and NATO to similarly designate Russia's actions as genocide. These bodies do appear to be weighing such a determination. An investigation by the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, OSCE, has found that uh, Russian forces have committed, quote, violations concerning even the most fundamental human rights, end quote, in Ukraine. The International Criminal Court Chief Prosecutor Karim Khan told reporters during his visit to Buka that, quote, Ukraine is a crime scene, end quote. The ICC opened an investigation into possible war crimes after 39 state parties referred the situation in Ukraine to the court, and the Kyiv government is now demanding that the investigation be extended to charges of genocide. Now, this is all by way of introduction to the dirty job I'm going to have to do tonight of um, tearing down an anarchist icon, a term that ought to be something of an oxymoron, but unfortunately isn't. If there is one sure way to instantly turn a supposed anarchist into an orthodoxy-upholding authoritarian, it is to criticize Noam Chomsky. And uh, that's what I'm here to do tonight. What really got me going is uh, the latest sycophantic interview with him of the kind we are regularly treated to, this time inevitably on the war in Ukraine, conducted by one Nathan J. Robinson on the website Current Affairs. I'm going to briefly quote a few passages and intersperse my own commentary. Uh, once again, these uh, quotes are slightly condensed, but I have not deviated from the actual uh, verbatim wording. Quote, a couple of days ago, there was a very important interview by one of the most astute and respected figures in current U.S. diplomatic circles, Ambassador Chas Freeman. A very important interview, Chomsky repeats. <clears throat> and goes on to paraphrase what um, Chas Freeman was saying. In this world, there are two options with regard to Ukraine. 
as we know, one option is a negotiated settlement, which will offer Putin an escape, an ugly settlement. The other option is to make it explicit and clear to Putin and the small circle of men around him that you have no escape. You're going to a war crimes trial no matter what you do. What does that mean? It means go ahead and obliterate Ukraine and go on to lay the basis for a terminal war. These are the two options, and we're picking the second and praising ourselves for heroism while doing it, end quote. Okay, I'll intersperse a little commentary here. Uh, Certainly an irony that um, Chomsky, who has supposedly taught us all to be so skeptical of um, media sources, being so credulous about this quote-unquote important interview, which was conducted by Aaron Mate in the Gray Zone, an outlet which is avidly promoted, at the very least, by the entire Kremlin propaganda apparatus, RT and Sputnik and so on, an interview with Chas Freeman, the great-granddaddy of the Beltway paleocon right, interlocutor in the corridors of power in Washington for ugly regimes, such as those of China and Saudi Arabia, an apologist for the Tiananmen Square massacre, etc. All of this is documented. Go and Google it if you don't believe me. But what I find even more perverse is that Chomsky and his paradoxical paleocon pals are implicitly praising themselves for their pacifism, or realism, as it is frequently called by uh, Chas Freeman and his crew, while betraying the Ukrainians to extermination. More about that later. Let me return to the text, quoting from Chomsky again, quote, we know the basic framework is neutralization of Ukraine, some kind of accommodation for the Donbass region with a high level of autonomy and recognizing that, like it or not, Crimea is not on the table. You may not like it. You may not like the fact that there's a hurricane coming tomorrow, but you can't stop it by saying, I don't like hurricanes, or I don't recognize hurricanes. That doesn't do any good. And the fact of the matter is, every rational analyst knows that Crimea is, for now, off the table. That's the alternative to the destruction of Ukraine and nuclear war. You can make heroic statements, if you'd like, about not liking hurricanes or not liking the solution, but that's not doing anyone any good, end quote. All right, for starters, anybody who has ever read George Orwell's essay, Politics and the English Language, will recognize such verbiage as, the fact of the matter is, and every rational analyst knows, quote-unquote, as what Orwell called verbal false limbs, cliched and frequently heard phrases which exist to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind, (laughs) in Orwell's memorable phrase. But what's really unbelievable is that Noam Chomsky, the man who has made his name and fame decrying American war crimes, now treats Russian war crimes, rivaling at least any committed by the United States, at least since August of 1945, as mere morally neutral acts of nature, like a hurricane, 
Now, even hurricanes aren't really all that neutral, as the displaced from New Orleans Ninth Ward know all too well, but this double standard is just horrendous. With all of his talk about the neutralization of Ukraine, there is no recognition, once again, that Ukraine came to independence in 1991 with declared neutrality and only abandoned that position after years of Russian subversion and aggression, finally escalating to Russia actually eating away at its territory starting in 2014. So if Putin wanted a neutral Ukraine, nothing could have been more counterproductive than what he's actually done. And instead, he's sending neutral Finland and Sweden into the arms of NATO. And again, so ironic to be hearing this talk from the guy who built his career as a polemicist, harping on two points over and over and over again. The U.S. is an imperialist monster, and the Western media have a double standard. Two things that I personally figured out when I was still an adolescent. Thanks anyway, Chomsky. Now, I suppose there are some people who still need to hear it. I question whether Chomsky is actually reaching them or just deepening the confirmation bias groupthink of his already convinced fan club. But the bigger point here is the intellectually corrosive effect of making that the only point it is permissible to make. And again, more on this later. For the moment, I'll just point out that uh, what I consider to be Chomsky's best book was the one in which he actually somewhat deviated from this one-note theme that he incessantly propounds. His 1983 book, The Fateful Triangle, The United States, Israel, and the Palestinians, which actually helped shape my thinking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But he's even become problematic on that question. Again, more on this later. Just replying to this interview on Ukraine for the moment, it is exemplary of where the flaws in Chomsky's thinking lead. So, Chomsky, you think that Putin's nuclear threats mean the world should just give him what he wants? This is the attitude that has put us on a trajectory toward nuclear war, incentivizing threats and the stockpiling of the missiles and warheads to back them up. Brilliant. And again, I will point out how Syria served as Putin's test war. Putin got away with destroying Aleppo in 2016, and his proxy, Bashar Assad, got away with serial use of chemical weapons, and there were zero repercussions. No imposition of a no-fly zone, no sanctions on Russia, no charges against either Putin or Assad at the International Criminal Court, nothing. After the first massive chemical attack at Ghouta in 2013, Obama backed down from his previous talk about how use of chemical weapons by Assad would be a red line. Then, in April 2017 and April 2018, after chemical attacks. Trump carried out token air raids on Assad's air bases, with the Russians explicitly tipped off in advance so their planes wouldn't get hit. 
which almost certainly means that they in turn tipped off Assad in what was likely an arranged game. Certainly, there were no real repercussions for either leader, and here we are. They got away with these massive war crimes for seven years in Syria, or for a decade in the case of Assad. And then Putin got away with the de facto annexation of Donbass and the de jure illegal annexation of Crimea, with only meaningless sanctions, with Europe continuing to buy his hydrocarbons to the tune of a billion dollars a day, year after year, day after day, year after year, funding his war machine. And here we are at the brink of nuclear war. Gee, it's really working great, guys. Now, I acknowledge the risks of a military response and even of sanctions in terms of their damage to the world economy and food supply, for which the poorest will bear the burden. I have never not acknowledged that. But how about you guys, Noam Chomsky and Aaron Maté and Chas Freeman and Nathan Robinson, how about you guys acknowledge the risks of rewarding aggression by doing nothing and vindicating the principle that might makes right? Crimea is not on the table, quote unquote. Who are you to dictate this, Chomsky, to the Ukrainians and particularly to the Crimean Tartars, the indigenous people of the Crimean Peninsula. Since annexation in 2014, the Tartars have had their autonomous majlis dissolved by Russia. Their leaders are facing persecution, imprisonment, and internment in psychiatric institutions for their nonviolent dissent. And Putin has even broached establishing concentration camps for the Crimean Tartars, akin to those China has established for the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. How dare you tell the Ukrainians and Tartars that Crimea is off the table, Chomsky? How dare you? The dangerous idea here is that ritual incantation of the words negotiation and diplomacy helps the situation when you oppose any form of pressure on the aggressor. You rule out sanctions. You rule out any outside military response and then talk of diplomacy and negotiations while cities are destroyed and Putin escalates to genocide. What the hell is there to talk about? Zelensky has actually been taking the moral high ground by negotiating even as his cities are bombed into rubble. But I suspect he's mostly doing so for the sake of appearances. What the hell is there to talk about? Ukraine ceding chunks of its territory to Russia, betraying the inhabitants to persecution at best and extermination at worst? Google Neville Chamberlain, Chomsky. This is exactly the kind of delusional thinking that led to World War II. And, uh, you know, this is part of a pattern that has been getting worse for years with this fellow. Regarding Syria, Chomsky has repeatedly loaned credibility to the so-called false flag conspiracy theories about the chemical attacks. You can look up a, uh, a YouTube video entitled, quote, Chomsky, colon, OPCW cover-up of Syria probe is shocking, end quote, October 20th, 2020 a video in which he is interviewed in sycophantic fashion by Aaron Maté, 
about the supposed, quote, shocking cover-up, end quote, of supposed findings of the UN Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, OPCW, exculpating Bashar Assad in recent chemical attacks. It's unbelievable that he was recycling these 100% bogus claims that are trotted out every time there's a chemical attack in Syria. We're supposed to believe that the Syrian rebels have a limitless supply of poison gas, but they only ever use it against their own people and their own territory in a sinister conspiracy to tar the innocent Assad regime, which is meanwhile massively bombing the same people and the same territory. In this case, for claims concerned, a leaked classified sub-team report that dissented from the official OPCW findings concerning the April 2018 Duma chemical attack. The supposed document purports to claim that the shells from the Duma attack did not fall from the air, but were planted. The implication being, of course, that the rebels gassed themselves as a provocation. The OPCW has not acknowledged that the document is authentic, and it contradicts the findings of the OPCW itself, as well as every bona fide investigation into the attack, including by the same human rights groups, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, that have accused the United States of torture at Gitmo and Abu Ghraib and called for the arrest of George W. Bush. We were treated to the same ugly speculation concerning the Khan Shikun chemical attack of April 2017. After it happened, Amy Goodman's Democracy Now! ran an interview she conducted with uh, Chomsky before an audience at a church in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Disgracefully, if predictably, they engaged in detached and smug theorizing that the Khan Shikun chemical attack was a false flag, although they did not actually use that ugly phrase. Chomsky conceded that it was, quote, plausible it was the Syrian government, end quote, but immediately followed up that it was, quote, not so obvious why the Assad regime would have carried out a chemical attack at a moment when it's pretty much winning the war, and the most serious danger it faces is that a counterforce will enter and undermine its progress, end quote. The winning the war exclusion can be simply dismissed. To point out the obvious, the United States was winning the war when it dropped the atom bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It also ignores that as recently as the previous month, that is to say, March of 2017, Damascus itself was threatened by a surprise rebel advance. Assad was and is clearly bent on terrorizing the populace into submission, which has been the logic of his war ever since the first demonstrations against his regime broke out in March of 2011. Chomsky continued, quote, maybe you can think of some reason why the Assad regime, which is a murderous, brutal regime, might have done it. But there's even another question of why the Russians would have allowed it, end quote. This assumes both that Moscow directly controls Assad and that Putin himself would oppose this kind of thing, rather than viewing it as testing the waters as to what he himself could get away with.
Chomsky next went on to cite the uh, MIT scholar Theodore Postel's, quote, devastating critique, unquote, of the White House report blaming the Kanchi Kuhn attack on Assad. RT, of course, the Russian state propaganda outlet, was avidly touting Postal's claim that the report, quote, contains absolutely no evidence that this attack was the result of a munition being dropped from an aircraft, end quote. That same canard, which would be heard again after the next year's chemical attack at Duma. It's the same propaganda time after time. Now, this may sound superficially good unless you actually think about the politics of the situation. Insurgent forces, which have to worry about the hearts and minds of the populace, never commit mass murder on their own people as a provocation. In contrast, counterinsurgency forces all too often resort to mass murder to terrorize targeted populations. Assad was the only plausible suspect, and to cast the blame elsewhere in the absence of positive evidence was merely to legitimize false flag theorizing, whether Chomsky and Postal were impolitic enough to use that phrase or not. To continue, more from Chomsky's interview with Amy Goodman in the aftermath of the Kanchikun attack, Implying that none of us really know anything about what's going on in Syria, Chomsky added, quote, reporting from Syria is extremely difficult. If reporters go into rebel-held areas and don't do what they're told, you'll get your head cut off, end quote. He doesn't mention any such putative journalist decapitations, of course. Actually, it is only ISIS that has done that kind of thing. And the Assad regime. Local reporter Ahmed Assad al-Shahab was beheaded by regime forces in Homs Governorate in January 2013, according to Reporters Without Borders. We haven't actually heard of any such beheadings by the rebels unless you want to include ISIS among the rebels. And ISIS are not allied with any of the other rebel factions in Syria, and they were never in control of Idlib, the province where Kanchikun is located. Without giving details, Chomsky cited the writing of the extremely problematic Patrick Coburn to back up his claim about reporters not being able to work in rebel-held territory in Syria. And uh, this claim was addressed in a uh, retort to Chomsky by writer and activist Idris Ahmad in a public post on Facebook from which I will quote here uh, Idris Ahmad addressing Chomsky. Quote, you surely cannot be unaware of the fact that AFP journalists had reported from the scene in Kanshikun and that the site was also visited by The Guardian's Karim Shaheen. Beyond Idlib, journalists such as Clarissa Ward and Nagyeb Kaja have done excellent reporting for CNN and Al Jazeera from inside rebel territory. Are you aware of their work? If not, then what were you basing your judgment on? I hope you weren't repeating claims by the regime-embedded Patrick Coburn, end quote. Chomsky, I will point out, also failed to note that our supposed ignorance about what really happened was first and foremost the fault of Russia, which vetoed a UN Security Council resolution 
that would have called on Damascus to cooperate with an international investigation of the attack. Rather odd behavior if they have nothing to hide. And of course, it did not occur to Amy Goodman to challenge Chomsky on any of this. And indeed, just a few days earlier, she had uh, hosted Jonathan Steele, who openly floated the idea that the Kun massacre was, quote, a dirty trick to try and discredit the Syrian government, end quote. This is why I've had it with Chomsky and Amy Goodman alike. And I will point out that uh, Idris Ahmad went on to um, author a rather in-depth and detailed two-part series, which appeared the next month, May 2017, on the New Arab website, entitled, quote, Chomsky and the Syria Revisionists, Regime Whitewashing, end quote. Google it up, Chomsky and the Syria Revisionist, colon, Regime Whitewashing by Mohammed Idris Ahmad in the, the New Arab, May 2017. And uh, that same month that uh, Chomsky appeared on Democracy Now! April 2017, he also did another appearance on Democracy Now! to glibly dismiss the claims of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. elections. You can Google that one up, quote, Chomsky colon, with U.S. history of overthrowing governments, outrage over Russian hacking claims is laughable, end quote. Now, here, Chomsky is overtly shilling for the enemy, by which I mean the Trump-Putin axis. All right, now, it would be one thing to use the 2016 election meddling as a teachable moment, so to speak, to point out to those who don't know, which by definition does not include Chomsky readers or Democracy Now! viewers, that the U.S. has meddled in loads of elections and overthrown loads of governments over the years. It's quite an other to say that outrage over election meddling is laughable when the election meddled in happens to be that of the United States as if us citizens of the imperial metropole are not entitled to democracy because the government we live under has deprived others of democracy. What a load of toxic crap. Another example, last April, April 2021, the New York Times ran a transcript of a podcast interview with Chomsky by one Ezra Klein entitled rather unimaginatively, Ezra Klein interviews Noam Chomsky, quote-unquote. Asked about the mass internment and escalation toward genocide, at least, of the Uyghur Muslims in China, Chomsky rhetorically asked, quote, is the situation of the Uyghurs, a million people who have been through education camps, is that worse than the situation of, say, two million and twice that many people in Gaza, end quote. So, once again, the game of what is called What About Uri. Now, Chomsky could have taken the opportunity here to boost calls by Uyghur organizations to boycott the 2022 Beijing Olympics. He could have promoted the campaign to pressure Western corporations to to stop selling clothing and other goods made with Uyghur forced labor. And he could have linked 
these campaigns to demands of the Palestinians for boycott, divestment, and sanctions against Israel and try to encourage Palestinian Uyghur solidarity and try to get those concerned with the Uyghurs to understand the moral connections to the Palestinians and vice versa. But instead, what did he do? He exploited the suffering of the Palestinians to relativize and distract from the suffering of the Uyghurs and tried to play them off against each other. Beyond disgraceful. Okay, if we jump back 10, 15 years in the past, of course, Chomsky similarly betrayed the Bosnians. Serially betrayed the Bosnians. I'll cite but one example. In October 2005, The Guardian ran an interview refreshingly entitled, quote, The Greatest Intellectual, question mark, end quote, <laughs> in which writer Emma Brox called him out over a letter Chomsky had signed in defense of Diana Johnstone, a commentator whose claims that the 1995 Srebrenica massacre was exaggerated had sparked a storm of well-deserved protest. Now, defending John Stone on free speech grounds, that is, defending her right to publish, would be legitimate, even if an ill-chosen battle. But in the interview, Chomsky went further, praising her disingenuous and distorted claims as, quote, very careful and outstanding work, end quote. Now, this embarrassment came to light again a couple of years later in October 2009, when Chomsky was invited to be the featured speaker at the annual Amnesty International Lecture, which was being held at a university in Belfast. And Ed Vogliami of the London Observer, one of the journalists whose vital work in Bosnia was impugned by Chomsky in that interview with The Guardian, protested the invitation in an open letter to Amnesty International, from which I will briefly quote, quote, in an interview with The Guardian, Professor Chomsky paid me the kind compliment of calling me a good journalist, but added that on this occasion, the Bosnian camps, I had, quote, got it wrong. Got what wrong? <laughs> which he embellishes with uh, multiple exclamation marks and question marks. Got wrong what we saw that day, August 5th, 1992. I didn't see him there. Got wrong the hundreds of thousands of families left bereaved, deported, and scattered asunder. Got wrong the hundreds of testimonies I have gathered on murderous brutality. Got wrong the thousands whom I meet when I return to the commemorations of the massacres in Bosnia. If I am making all of this up, what are all of the human remains found in mass graves around the camps and so painstakingly reassembled by the International Commission for Missing Persons? End quote. And I'll just briefly point out um, <clears throat> Chomsky's former association with the late Edward Herman, who was his co-author of a, a series of books in the 1970s and 80s, including manufacturing consent, which is something of a classic, and whose earlier writings together had um, cast doubt on the Pol Pot genocide in Cambodia in similar manner. 
Herman went on to uh, co-author with one David Peterson, a book entitled The Politics of Genocide, published by Monthly Review in 2010, trading in this same kind of revisionism, not only about Bosnia, but also Rwanda, for which Chomsky kindly provided a jacket blurb. All right, now I'm going to argue that all of this can be traced back. All of these errors, to be charitable, can be traced back to the analytical and ultimately the moral and intellectual distortions of the so-called Chomsky rule, the notion that we are only allowed to criticize the crimes committed by our side, quote-unquote. Now, this was uh, first articulated way back in uh, 1969 when Chomsky was, uh, you know, a rising star, and he appeared on uh, William Buckley's Firing Line TV talk show and said, quote, I restrict myself to discussing American terror. For one thing, because it's just qualitatively different in scale, and for another thing, because I feel that we have some responsibility for it. End quote. Okay, and uh, what makes this line alluring is that there's a grain of truth to it. Our first responsibility, indeed, is to protest crimes committed by our own government. But that's not our only responsibility. And that principle is not a blanket prohibition on any protest of crimes committed by any other parties, including those of the imperial rivals of U.S. imperialism. And certainly, the magnitude of the crimes in question has also got to be taken into consideration, and whether we have some complicity in terms of buying the hydrocarbons that are funding the other side's war machine But the more fundamental point is that we don't only have responsibilities as Americans, but also as humans and as inhabitants of planet Earth, not just the real estate between the Atlantic and Pacific coasts from the Rio Grande to the 49th parallel. That kind of thinking, this notion that we have to maintain hermetic silence about crimes committed by anyone other than our own government, ultimately means that we aren't informing ourselves about those crimes. They are out of sight, out of mind, and it leads to a distorted view of the actual world situation. And it slides, as we now see, two generations after Chomsky appeared on Bill Buckley, into vocal support for the other side. And, you know, support for the other side, quote-unquote, meaning Ho Chi Minh and the National Liberation Front, may have been the right position in Vietnam in 1969, when it's true that no other world power was committing crimes of comparable scale to those of the U.S. at that period. But it is absolutely the wrong position in Ukraine in 2022. A monstrously wrong position in Ukraine in 2022. And I'll just note, you know, a real irony of ironies is that Chomsky also as a wrong and timid and cowardly position on Palestine. He's willing to invoke the suffering of the inhabitants of Gaza to distract from and relativize the suffering of the Uyghurs, but he opposes boycott, divestment, and sanctions against Israel. 
opposes any kind of actual material pressure on Israel, just like he opposes any kind of actual material pressure on Russia. And certainly, as recently as a few years ago, he was still speaking in support of a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, dismissing any other formula as, quote, not sensible, end quote. And I have not heard him repudiate this. And it's kind of become an embarrassing position today. And the more progressive position being put forth by Palestinians and their supporters around the world is for a single united secular state for Arabs and Jews alike in all of historic Palestine. And I'll just add that given that Chomsky still, I believe, calls himself an anarchist, or at least I I haven't heard otherwise, it would have been nice to see him at least broach a no-state solution, so to speak, (laughs) a decentralized Middle East federation of autonomous communities and worker assemblies bound by principles of voluntary association. But that is certainly way too much to hope for. When Chomsky's anarchism, so-called anarchism, has essentially, I submit, paradoxically morphed into its opposite, into propaganda support, active propaganda support for the most oppressive regimes on the planet. And he can beg off of this accusation with, uh, you know, ritual distancing and empty verbiage, such as calling the Assad regime a, quote, murderous, brutal regime, end quote. But that is perfunctory lip service when he is openly serving the propaganda interests of that regime, and now of Putin's. And in fact, such meaningless ritual distancing makes his propaganda all the more insidious. Because all of the political neophytes who are coming up today, who have been conditioned into putting Chomsky up on a pedestal and treating his words as pearls of wisdom, will not even realize that they are being propagandized. It is way too late in the day for this stuff. I may lose followers and subscribers for this podcast, but so be it. Like garbage collection and disposal, telling the truth is a dirty, thankless job, but somebody's got to do it. All right, now, uh, the final thing I feel obliged to address is what do I propose that we do about Ukraine? Well, I'm not sure how relevant a question this is, given that nobody's listening to me. And I think that asking hard questions is ultimately a more useful activity than proffering easy answers. But okay, lest I be accused of just kvetching and throwing tomatoes without offering any alternatives, let me state, I'm not on a soapbox for a no-fly zone or Western military intervention because of the risks of escalation. But I will add that I feel a sense of guilt to the Ukrainians for this position of placing world peace, such as it is, above their lives. And I absolutely do support a full and immediate economic embargo of Russia. The world should stop all purchases of Putin's hydrocarbons cold. And in demanding this, we, progressive forces around the world, should also be demanding a crash conversion from hydrocarbons altogether, which is mandated for plenty of other good reasons. And we should be demanding that the economic burdens for this transition, which will be real and dramatic 
be borne by the ruling classes all over the world. With dramatic social intervention to cushion the impacts on the common people in every country. And that there be a massive and urgent program of aid and subsidies for those places on earth that will be most gravely impacted, such as Yemen, which is already on the brink of mass starvation due to a cutoff of Ukrainian wheat on top of all these years of war. These are the demands that progressive forces around the world should be mobilizing around. Instead of being misled into campism and serving the propaganda aims of fascists and war criminals. This has been Bill Weinberg with The Counter Vortex. Please check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash countervortex. We need your support to keep going. Join The Counter Vortex. Join the resistance. And rant on you next time.